This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 8, The Devil You Know. And let's start it off with a couple of announcements. Our first announcement is that we have officially brought on a new player character to the team. So we've got a new intro for you. Giles' intro will play at the beginning of this episode. Make sure to stick around after Words with the GM today to listen to Giles Farthing's introduction. And because we have a new character, that of course means new character art. If you haven't checked it out already, go to our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or go to our website, EssentialNPCs.com, and check out the art for Giles Farthing. It's great. We even added him to the banner on Facebook, so you can check that out and see him standing with the rest of the team. Lily Dermeyer, again, Nailing it with the art. It's so great. Um, We're so happy to share it with you guys. Our third announcement is one that we've had in the works for a long time. We actually just got the final version of the art for the Manifest RPG cover. Uh, We are so excited to be able to bring it to you guys first. Uh, You'll be able to see it on all of our social media and also on our Manifest the RPG Facebook page and the website, which is manifestthertpg.com. Go and check it out. Uh, Andrew Thompson did just the most amazing job. Uh, For those of you who don't know where our social media is, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Essential NPCs. And then we also have a website, EssentialNPCs.com. We're going to plaster this thing everywhere. We are so proud of it. And it is uh, the next real step to bringing this RPG that we've been working on for so long to life. And, uh, And it is the official start to the countdown to the Kickstarter. Uh, so please go check out the art. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Uh, we're so excited and uh, we hope you are too. And with that, let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM Hello. is about Series 9, Episode 7, The Jolly Heart. In the last episode, we got a few glimpses of some of the cool elements of Manifest that make it feel unique. Uh, For instance, we got to spend some time exploring one of the many traveling carnivals of Manifest. Carney is actually a history option available during character creation, one that was very popular during our playtests. Public opinion on Manifest regarding carnivals splits two ways. There's those that think carnivals are a wild ride of fun and entertainment, and there's those that think carnies are, at best, two-bit con artists and sneak thieves. The fact of the matter is, both are true. Despite their disreputable nature, the kinds of carnivals that thrive are those that outweigh their petty thievery and swindling with legitimately entertaining shows of great talent. It also helps that carnivals tend to split a large chunk of their profit with the town they post outside of, making it worth the town's while to invite them around. 
We also got to learn a little bit more about the inner workings of the network of criminal syndicates known as The Family. The Family is actually another history available at Character Creation. There are several families operating around Manifest. They are semi-autonomous, operating under a loose alliance in which profit is the primary focus. They tend to run the crime in and around factory towns, making it hard for outlaws and gangs to operate in those areas. This can actually give the illusion of peace and order to those who aren't paying close enough attention. The rampant corruption and abuse of power in factory towns is due in no small part to the family and their planet-wide network of operatives engaging in smuggling, theft, murder, and other criminal activities. And finally, at the very end, we got to meet Giles Farthing, played by Nick Kajeri. The history he chose at Character Creation was privileged. There are those who either profited greatly in the events following the departure or managed to hold on to an already established position of wealth and power, and some of those privileged few use their wealth and power for good, some use it for bad, but most of them simply use it to live well. Fancy shindigs, private sporting events, and little actual responsibility make up the day-to-day life of the average privileged. As for Giles's path, he's a tinkerer. The path of the tinkerer is for those who can look at a pile of mechanical scrap and see the pieces needed to make a new weapon or armor or even a really reliable coffee maker. Everyone on Manifest has just a little bit of a crafting streak in them because of how general goods like machinery cubes and tech cubes can be converted into mundane functional items. But a tinkerer takes it to the next level crafting the truly valuable gear on Manifest, ranging from ammo to night vision goggles to vehicles and even the advanced prosthetic limbs we saw Giles sporting. The interaction between things like the family and the carnival and even tinkerers are just little examples of what I love about Manifest. Individually, there's so many elements of Manifest that feel familiar. Common tropes from science fiction and westerns can be found around every corner. But when all of these things are put together in the same world and forced to interact and relate to one another, it results in what I think is a fantastic, unique setting in which I know I'm inspired to craft unique stories. And all of these elements are only all parts of elements that you can use to create a character to help you tell those stories. Uh, Drifters come from all walks of life and all sorts of different experiences and I've had a blast both playing and uh, working on the the game, and uh, we're so excited to share it with you and really uh, bring you just this like wide open world for you to uh, tell your own stories in too. But as per usual, uh, we've gone on long enough, so I want to know what your favorite part was. I think my favorite part had to be uh, the way that all of the different characters reacted to being at the carnival. I thought for one thing, Covert did an amazing job playing Clayton as someone who has never been to a carnival and had no idea what he was getting into. And then you have Roy on the other side of the coin who like respects and admires the carnival. You know, he loves the grift. He loves the pulling one over on people, not unlike Clayton, who just don't know what they're getting into. And I did really like how like Juliet and Roy were like the devil and angel on Clayton's shoulders as he was going around Juliet trying to make him like think things through and be reasonable. And then 
Roy being like, yeah, but what if you should do it? I mean, you should, if it makes you happy, you should do it. <laughs> I loved it. It was really fun watching that, uh, that interaction. But what about you? What was your favorite part? My favorite part also has to do with the carnival, but it is something that happens before we even get there. Uh, we find a flyer that is uh, basically an advertisement for the carnival. And it is just a list of like the most amazing, weird and absurd things. Everything from the high wire strong women duo, which I just is like... <laughs> is bonkers and I love to uh, manifest Rich's Tobo uh, and kind of everything in between. There's even an alien thrown in there. You knew exactly what the carnival was and what it was promising and what you would probably get uh, before you even walked in. And it was just one of the most amazing sort of fun ways to walk into uh, a scene with it prepping us uh, for what we should expect. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Seth Lilly, who has been in quite a few episodes of the Essential NPCs podcast. He came up with a lot of those carnival acts during one of the play tests uh, a long while back. And uh, he had written them down. And when I was making my notes for this session, I found them and was like, yep, mm -hmm, this is this is great because I knew that I had to give a snapshot of just the craziness that goes on in the carnival. Cause I knew you guys were only going to like maybe see one game and I had to let, I had to let everyone know the potential of the carnival and all of its different acts, but we still have a long road ahead of us. We aren't even halfway through the series yet. I'm loving it so far. So I want to move into the next episode, but before we do, I do want to point out for the listeners that uh, the introduction of Giles Farthing kind of put us in a position where we were almost doing a secondary first episode and uh, to preserve the momentum of the storyline, uh, we kind of do a little bit of a time jump. Uh, not very long. We just kind of fast forward to the later part of the following day there. So listen closely to the previously on uh, speech that I give at, before every episode, because I talk a little bit about things that weren't in the previous episode. Instead, we just kind of fast forward through a lot of the logistics of getting our team back on the road. And with that said, let's move on in and listen to series nine, episode eight, the devil, you know, enjoy. Greetings. I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is Sugar, my Ache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities granting me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle to most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Shug are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead, where we can be ourselves and ain't nobody going to try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. 
Howdy, folks. Name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs, and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, my mamas held them off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I loose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide. Hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. Charles Farthing, the pleasure's all mine, like. As you might have guessed, I come from money, but I'm not above slumming it with the upper middle class. I work a trade. I'm a barber. Clean cut, close shave, replace a limb or two. That last one's my speciality. Prosthetics. Best side of Iron Harbor. And the other side of Iron Harbor. Also within the city limits of Iron Harbor. <laughs> well, have a look. My handiwork's my pride and joy. My left side, the foreleg, arm, my left eye. No accident. Improvements. The human body's wonderful, but imperfect-like. We're at a point in history where it's our own flesh and blood holding us back. That's why I've made it my life's work, to develop the finest in form, function, and fashion. That's all on hold for the moment, though. First, I need to find and recover an item stolen from my own home at a recent exhibition. To steal from a man of my genius. The audacity. It's unforgivable. Blather, what'll it be? I'll have you looking your best in no time, or my name isn't Giles Farthing. Which it is. Charles, I just told you, like. My name is Juliette Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him, passed on the craft, like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons, and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands, now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet. And Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time. But by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life. Until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now, 
he ain't the most communicative individual, but I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right, and Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. Uh, When we last left Juliet, Clayton, and Roy, they had arrived at the Jolly Heart Carnival, currently set up outside of the garden settlement of Tanner's Gulch. There, Juliet spoke with Cyrus's adoptive parents, Mordecai and Desdemona Hart, and learned that Cyrus had come through the carnival shortly after he disappeared. From the information she was able to gather, Juliet surmised that Cyrus had run afoul of an old enemy of his and Juliet's, one Peter O'Malley, the head of the O'Malley family, one of the many families uh, that make up the large planetary-wide crime syndicate known as The Family. Even more afraid now for Cyrus's well-being, Juliet began to plan a forward assault on uh, on O'Malley, uh, and as Roy was trying to convince her that she needed more information. A mysterious man appeared, one Giles Farthing, uh, who said he knew somebody who made a habit of knowing everyone's secrets and that if Juliet, Clayton, and Roy assist Giles with some dangerous tasks, uh, Giles can arrange for his informant to find out exactly where Cyrus is being held if Cyrus is still alive. Uh, Juliet jumped at the chance and Clayton wasn't 100% sure until Giles offered him the large sum of 400 spurs for his trouble, at which point he decided Roy could wait to be turned into the law just a little bit longer. The following day, Giles, uh, you are able to send a message to your uh, informant, Pepe Dantoro, uh, that you are prepared to do a favor for him uh, in order to get the information you're looking for. And you are sent back instructions to meet Pepe at the settlement of Hope's Edge, uh, which is about 10 days ride to the south. However, Pepe wants you to meet him there in four days time for breakfast at the hotel. As you guys are getting ready to leave the carnival, uh, Mordecai and Desdemona make themselves available to offer help and are able to secure the four of you a ride to the south. Uh, Fortunately, a regional nomad pack is passing through Tanner's Gulch at this moment, uh, collecting livestock to deliver to the neighboring settlements. And Mordecai used his pole with the officials of Tanner's Gulch to secure the four of you transport to Hope's Edge so you can make it there in four days' time. Mordecai and Desdemona, of course, wish you, Juliet, the best of luck and say they'll make themselves available to help you should you need anything along the way. And the four of you rejoin together on the southern border of Tanner's Gulch as the nomads are just finishing up herding the last of the hodags into trailer transports. Uh, Hodags are large, uh, massive beasts of burden. The average hodag is about 9 to 10 feet in height uh, and have a long enough body uh, to allow for up to almost eight riders. They are lumbering, slow, 
hairy creatures with shaggy uh, fur of varying color depending on their region. Uh, the garden's regional hodag has a dark, muddy green type color. And while hodags are kind of frightening in sight and size uh, due to the somewhat rounded spines that run down their back, they are passive creatures that really pay no mind to uh, to anything that's going on around them. They just care about eating whatever grass or dirt or rocks are directly in front of their face. So, Clayton, you you're watching as uh, these nomads are are uh, shoving the last of the hodags uh, into the trailer, and one nomad kind of pulls down a, a bandana, looks to the four of you, uh, shouts something to uh, one of his pack mates and then uh walks over uh towards you uh pulling his large like gauntleted gloves off and uh uh kind of sizing you up and he goes howdy howdy i can't help but notice for you just kind of watching as we load up this uh livestock making uh making some of us a little bit nervous uh how about we uh we try to get off on the right foot here my, my name is bumper and you are my name is Juliet Hunt, and uh, we were told that we booked passage on uh, with y'all down south. Oh, yeah, you're friends of the the head of the carnival, right? He's just going to go ahead and just kind of throw his right, weight around and make us pick up some passengers for free, right? I suppose so. I am unaware of the arrangement precisely. I'm just giving you a hard time. It's no trouble to us. We got some room in one of the in one of the trailers. Y'all can kind of load up in there. And then he looks to the left and sees kind of uh, Sugar standing next to you, Clayton. He goes, hooey, that is a beast and a half now, ain't it? Don't see them around the garden too often. She's a real sweetheart. Her name's Sugar. I'm Clayton, by the way, and I extend a hand to shake. Uh, he looks at your hand, looks at you, looks at Sugar and goes, yeah, so when you say she's a real sweetheart, is that like she's a sweetheart like just to you or is she like a sweetheart? Like, in general, because, like, hodags, they're, they're kind of notoriously, like, unflappable. But uh, if there was anything that was going to flap a hodag, I'd go ahead and say it was an angry ache in the, uh, trapped in a trailer with it. So, uh, are we going to have problems here with this little girl? Is she going to have to run alongside the caravan, or, or are you going to be able to keep her under control in there? She's going to behave just fine, aren't you, girl? And uh, Clayton will start to scratch behind her ear sugar will kind of lean in uh to the scratch and goes oh well that's cute and all but i'm telling you it'll be a bloodbath if she ain't as nice as she looks but hey y'all don't need dire warnings or nothing uh we gotta get a move on if we want to be able to make it uh to all our deliveries in time so uh how about y'all load up you ready to go absolutely sure am all right then that one over there trailer with kind of the bullet holes in the side that's the one y'all gonna be in we don't use that one too much any, uh, anymore on account of it not having, like, as much armor. But y'all be fine. Much obliged. And where's uh, Sugar going to go? Uh, she's going to fit up in there with you. Uh, these are very, like, long trailers. Uh, you could fit four to six hodags in there. And the, uh, and the trailer that you're being directed to only has one hodag in it. Hey, hi. Sorry. Name's Roy Hampton. You're, uh, you're local to this region, Yeah. Uh, yeah, for the most part, we go up and down here on the on the western side of the garden. So that trailer done got shot up round here, then? Oh, yeah, from time to time, bandits like to try and tussle with us for uh, for whatever valuables we're carting around. But, uh, you know, we, sh- we gave him what for. Only a couple of us died that time. 
and we are specifically in sort of the trailer that you don't use very often because it ain't particularly armored no more on account of the bandits. Listen here, fella, I understand what you're kind of moving towards here with these leading questions. Yes, you are in the least secure part of the caravan, but beggars can't be choosers, now can they? Hey, I'm just trying to verify that that is in fact the case and prepare accordingly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, all right then, I apologize for my tone. (laughs) Apology accepted, I suppose, and I go set up my bunk in the trailer. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Giles, are you, uh, coming on with us? I'm trying to decide, like, it's a little drab, isn't it? That's what I figured. But you gotta make this meet, right? And there ain't no other way that you're getting there in time. So, like, I think, perhaps, just this once, you can, uh, slum it with us. Uh, you have a point. Also, you can pick the first spot, probably wherever Roy picked, because, you know, he's gonna pick out the nicest one. On it. All right, and the four of you climb into this long uh, trailer car attached to the back of a large off-roading Nomad vehicle, heavily modified. Nomad packs are not an uncommon sight across Manifest. They began to be formed hundreds of years ago before the high-speed rail had been constructed, and there was a, a demand for people who could transport goods from the different settlements and the different factory towns. Uh, so uh, it kind of created a culture of people who like to tune up cars and, and drive them across uh, large, uh, large open landscapes. And, you know, hundreds of years later, that kind of subculture grew into like into nomads as they are now, which for the most part still serve the primary purpose of transporting goods around uh, for people who can't afford or for whatever reason don't want to transport things on the high speed rails. Uh, caravans, uh, can take many shapes and forms. Uh, this one is mostly comprised of land vehicles. It looks like, uh, heavily armored and extremely modified, uh, motorcycles, cars, trucks, and vans, several of which have these long livestock trailers hitched onto the back of them for the journey that you're currently going on. Uh, the journey will be somewhat cramped, uh, a little bit smelly, what with a hodag there, but the whole time it just kind of stands wherever wherever they pushed it to and, uh, you know, just keeps eating, uh, eating the hay and grass that is set in front of it. And uh, the four of you, while being a little cramped, can kind of comfortably lay down uh, uh, in this uh, in this trailer. And there's plenty of, of points where you can get out and stretch your legs as the nomads stop at a nearby settlement to offload some of the livestock before moving on the way, moving on their way. During the four days uh, that it takes to get to Hope's Edge, you have a little bit of time to talk to Giles and talk to each other and and uh, uh, possibly get to know each other a little bit better. So. We will begin this session with you guys rolling shoot the shit. <laughs> Who's picking who? I'll choose uh, Clayton. See how he get mixed up with these two people mixed up with the family. I'll pick Juliet. Uh, then I will pick Roy. Then I will make friends with Giles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone go ahead and roll. One success. Okay, so Giles, you chose Clayton. Uh, so Clayton, you get to learn something about Giles Farthing. So at a certain point, maybe when you guys have like posted up outside of town and the nomads are selling off the livestock, uh, you're kind of stretching your legs and, you know, there's this strange guy, uh, this strange guy with a lot of money and two very fine prosthetics who 
just kind of hired you to do an amorphous job. He hasn't really been forthcoming about the about the parameters of said job. And uh, you're on your way to meet some informant. There's probably a lot of questions you have, <laughs> Clayton. And you get to learn one thing. So, Giles, don't know a whole lot about you. What kind of profession would you say you were in? I like to think of myself as a barber. Speaking of, you could probably use a cut yourself, eh? <laughs> a barber, huh? In a sense. Though I suppose I have a bit of a tinker and bent in me as well. Like making crazy gadgets? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, the left side of my body's no accident. It's all my designs, my handiwork. Impressive. How well do they do a shave? Uh, I think I've already detached my left hand, which has crawled across your shoulder and begun uh, sort of shaving off the bushier parts of your beard as we've had this conversation. <laughs> huh. I hold real still. Oh, thanks. That'll make it a lot easier. <laughs> Thank you kindly. I've been, uh, I've been needing one of these for a while now. That's the least I could do. I appreciate your help. I appreciate the job offer. And uh, Clayton gives you a big grin. Oh, there's those yellowy whites. <laughs> <laughs> I might have a cream for that, too. <laughs> and uh later that evening as you guys are getting back into the uh trailer uh yeah clayton is just a little a little more well kent still has a bit of a beard it's much more tamed uh, before he goes to bed he rubs uh, a weird ointment on his teeth <laughs> clayton who did you pick juliet and i got one hit all right juliet juliet you get to learn something about clayton i'm just rubbing my teeth okay and i walk over and in a in sort of a lower voice, uh, so Clayton, uh, I noticed that you're illuminated. Uh huh. I just wanted to ask you: Is that a thing you're like okay with sharing? I know that uh, some people have found difficulty with uh, with uh, finding a, a community that will uh, accept them uh, when they're. Uh, alternatively powered and i was i was just wondering if you're like all right sharing it because i i don't know if there's a good way for you to like hide that away from your employer at this moment and you know i don't know how his prejudices lie but if there's anything i could do to make you feel more comfortable y'all ain't kicked me out yet it don't bother me none folks don't want to accept me for who or what i am then i don't got any business with them anyway and uh, you all been gracious enough to keep me around, so I got no problem sharing. That's not even the weirdest thing about me. My best friend's a notche. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought I think people can understand an anache a little better. I think I had a great friend of mine who who uh, was illuminated, and I know that he had some troubles fitting in and eventually found a town that would, you know, accepted him for who he was, but it, it, it took a hot little while and I don't know. I guess I I was just making sure that I don't know. I guess I just want to make sure you're okay. Uh Clayton tips his hat. Well thank you very much. What's the name of that town? Uh it's called Red Post. It's actually a quite a nice little town. Technologically pretty advanced. Interesting. Might have to check that out. I was also Plan on just settling down by myself with uh, sugar here. Just kind of get away from everything and enjoy, just enjoy life. I appreciate you checking on me, but 
I assure you, I'm quite all right. Yeah, I know you can handle yourself, but sometimes I thought, I think, it's pretty good to know you ain't, you ain't alone. Well, thank you. And Juliet, who'd you pick? Roy. And how many hits did you get? Two. All right, Roy, you get to learn something about Juliet. All right, I will uh, find an opportune moment. Juliet is uh, off by herself, probably when she's cleaning her guns. I imagine that's a point at which you are sort of separate. And I'll just sort of sit down next to you. And Okay, so let me get this straight. You, a capital G gunslinger, are married to a made man in the family? <laughs> no, he wasn't ever made. As, as it were, he was born into it and left once he realized uh, just what his daddy was asking him to join. And, and that's how he came to the carnival. Uh, but yes, I am married to a carnival-raised, family-born grifter slash doctor. Well, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I learn something new, you just seem cooler and cooler. well uh you ain't so bad yourself roy well i I do appreciate that and roy who did you pick i picked giles and i got three hits ah so (laughs) you and giles bond over something say probably around like late in the second day maybe early in the third sort of sidle up to giles and Hey, I I can't help but notice you're mighty fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I've been out here, out in the wilderness. People don't care about having a color reference in your vest on your shoes, or or you know, trying to get a shirt that goes with your pants. And like, your ensemble is impressive. I appreciate the compliment, and yeah, it may be a bit barbaric, but I don't hold it against them. <laughs> Well, I don't know if, you know, lack of fashion sense is necessarily equated to barbarism, as it were. (laughs) Although, you know, the more I'm thinking of it, maybe not like a causation, as it were, but certainly a correlation. (laughs) (laughs) You're pretty astute for a thief there. It'll give you that. Oh, I'm a pretty astute thief. Your jacket there. Bought or stolen. Oh, this? Well... If you ask the proprietor of the shop it left, it was purchased. It is very much stolen. (laughs) Either way, an excellent choice. Thank you kindly. (laughs) Yeah, and then then after bonding over your uh, shared sense of fashion, uh, the two of you return to the trailer and uh, the journey continues without much more ado. By the fourth day, you guys will reach Hope's Edge. When everybody's asleep, uh, I'm going to use my night vision and uh, dig through my bag and pull out a nice brush that I have on me. I'm going to walk over to Sugar, and I'm going to start brushing her down a little bit. Ah, Sug, got quite the moral conundrum. I start brushing her mane. She she stretches her neck out so that you can get uh, a better angle. What did you roll in? Anyway... <laughs> After finding out so much about the family, I'm starting to wonder, should we turn Roy in? That's a lot of money, but they're probably going to kill him. Doesn't seem like he deserves it. 
she she turns uh she kind of dips her head down and like nuzzles you between her two horns so you can get like at the top of the back of her neck i get on my toes and barely reach it i don't know we can probably finally afford the ranch with that kind of payday but honestly and i pick her head up and look her right in the eyes he's been a lot less greedy than i have he's supposed to be a thief He's willing to go help out Juliet. Didn't even ask for anything. Yet I'm over here demanding money to go help somebody that was just checking on me and I guess considers me a friend. We ain't had many of those, huh, Suge? She lets out like a snort and licks the side of your face. Well, obviously we're friends. Best friends, of course. But I mean human friends, you know? She kind of shakes her freshly brushed mane uh, nice and clear. Yeah, you're real pretty. I don't know, Suge. I'm having second thoughts on turning him in again. It'd be nice to have that ranch, but it won't be much good with uh, such a weight on my conscience. And uh, once I'm done, I give her a kiss goodnight and, and I lay on her. Yeah, she, she plops down and like lays down, kind of curled so that there's that nice little nook for you to sleep in. And on the fourth day, you are awoken uh, to the uh, door of the trailer just swinging loudly open and Bumper going, rise and shine, day number four, here you are at Hope's Edge, as promised. Don't say I don't deliver. Now, if y'all would kindly collect all your things and get the hell out the way of that hodag there, this is where he gets off too. Rise and shine, Chug, let's go. Uh, she jumps up, shakes her, uh, shakes her for clear licks like one of her four legs and then just like flies out the back of the trailer and bumper has to jump out there. Jesus Christ. Sorry. She's just a little restless. Uh, I'll saddle up Sadie and uh, head on out. Pardon me, Mr. Bumper. Uh, do you perhaps know the way to the Hope's Edge Hotel? Oh yeah. You can't miss it. It's like right in the center of town, right on the edge, a big fancy building, like really wide, made out of bricks, has about like a dozen rooms. And has a big old dining hall on the ground floor with big just windows, wall to wall. Uh, so uh, it, it, it strikes a pretty impressive figure uh, in the town. It's a it's a small town, you see, so you should be able to find it no problem. Appreciate the help. Happy to help. Happy to help. Uh, by the way, those are some impressive limbs you got there, sir. Real fine touch. Oh, you've got a keen eye. I think uh, Green would bring it out. He looks at, like, his muddy brown clothes and, like, n- n- navy and tan, and he goes, Might do, might do, maybe a scarf or something. Good, good idea, good idea. Man, you's just about the fanciest passenger I ever did travel with. Pleasure to meet you, sir. And he reaches out a gross, muddy, like, hand. Uh, yeah, I put out my right for a second, think better of it, put out the, the left, the prosthetic, <laughs> uh, give him a shake, and then uh, sort of spray and wipe down that arm as soon as I've turned away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he goes in and he's like all right come on get out there boy and he starts like pulling on the hodag to make it slowly lumber its way out of the trailer yeah the uh, uh like bumper said the town of hope's edge is a quaint little settlement on the border of the garden and the great salt flats uh, which is a region of manifest spanning roughly eight million square miles in size uh, consisting of just one massive salt pan There are no settlements that exist within the salt flats. Uh, The region is dead and dangerous, Uh, though on its southern edge, 
just as the landscape begins to transition from the salt flats into the swamp lands known as the Wastes, there is a factory town uh, by the name of Ion Harbor. Happens to be where you're from, Giles. Uh, so the site of what looks like an endless field of salt flat uh, ahead of you is, uh, is not a foreign visage to you. The Hope's Edge Hotel is on the southern border of town, and as you approach, you see that the dining hall Bumper was describing uh, has a has picturesque windows that give a panoramic view of the white expanse that is the Great Salt Flats. As you guys enter from the patio entrance uh, into the dining hall, you see sitting at a table near the uh, near a large fireplace in a stuffed glowacus, there is Pepe Dantoro. He is a smartly dressed, handsome man who obviously takes uh, good care of his, uh, his appearance, almost as much care as Giles takes of his. He notices you as you come in and stands up uh, smiling. He has clean caramel skin that shines uh, in the light reflected off the salt flats. And his neatly trimmed mustache is curled up as he smiles at the, si- uh, at the side of Giles. His clothes are stylish black and gray with red and gold accents. And as you guys approach, he stands from his table, outstretches his arms, and says, My good friend Giles, what a pleasure it is to see you once again, and with such colorful friends. Ah, Pepe, they're here for you. Are they now? I see you, you, uh, you decided to uh, uh, follow my suggestion of, of hiring some help then. The circumstances presented themselves. Now what is it we can do for you so that you can help us? Well, colorful friends, my name is Pepe Dantoro, and I'm, it's a great pleasure to meet you, I'm sure. Uh, please, join me. Uh, help yourself to some food and some drink. Uh, and he sits back down at his table with his back uh, nearby the fireplace. Um, and he goes, honestly, Giles, I did not expect you to respond so quickly. Uh, clearly, I underestimated how seriously you take recovery of your stolen property. That's very important. Well, out of respect for that seriousness, I will dispense with further pleasantries, and I will get down to business. There's a group of men and women somewhere in these salt flats uh, who are causing problems for friends of mine in Ion Harbor. These people are remnants of an old cult known as the Proto-Martyrs. Excuse me? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, You said Proto-Martyrs? Yes. Murderous fanatics armed with cutting-edge technology. Uh, I presume you you have crossed paths with them before. Yes, I have. I was uh, at the Siege of San Cordero, so uh, uh, definitely familiar. Uh, these are the people that you want taken out? Pepe's face changes to an almost exaggerated frown as he raises his eyebrows and nods at you to either show that he is genuinely impressed or perhaps slightly mocking, uh, slightly mocking you. It's hard to tell with this guy. He's very smarmy. Uh, <laughs> yes. It is, it is a small remnant of proto-martyrs. Uh, most of the proto-martyrs were wiped out after the Battle of Waypoint, but there are still a few small active groups. These proto-martyrs have surfaced to sell some of their weaponry uh, to criminals and the like uh, in Ion Harbor. I do not know what their ultimate goal is, but the idea of proto-martyrs with money, supplies, and influence is one that enough of my friends are worried about that something must be done. Well, you heard the man. Uh, where can these three find those proto-martyrs? That is why we find ourselves here, staring at the silical abyss. And he gestures uh, extravagantly to the picturesque windows that uh, show the transition of the last of the green of the garden into the dead white salt flats. And he says, Giles, you need something from me? 
and I need someone to look after the interests of our mutual friends in Ion Harbor. Now you three, you look like you can handle yourselves in a fight, and Giles is one of the most brilliant technological minds on Manifest. I have confidence that you, that you four can find a way to dismantle whatever facilities and supplies the proto-martyrs may have. You do this for me, and I will locate your stolen property, Giles. Guaranteed. I'm sorry, far. I expected to go with him. Like, as if the three of you aren't there, he just is talking directly to Giles and goes, do you expect him to be able to handle this on your own? Do you want to risk not delivering on your end of the bargain, Giles? What if these yokels uh, find themselves in front of a computer? Uh, none of them will even know how to turn it on. <laughs> I would be offended if you weren't right. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps then we need to amend our arrangement. These drifters are also looking for some information separate from my own. We do this for you. Would you be willing to throw them a bone? Uh, he pauses at that for a moment, Giles, kind of like looking, like looking you directly in the eye and a, and a smile begins to curl on his lips again. And he leans back and he goes, Mr. Farthing, are we in the middle of a negotiation? With you, Dantaro, are we ever not? He full on smiles at that. It looks like Pepe is trying to like work out figures in his head as he like just like smiles and grins and like it's like it's like this is really fun for him and then he goes i guess it depends on the information that they are looking for the whereabouts of a person say is is that it uh, who, who is this person and why are they so important to you he says uh looking at roy and juliet uh, his name is Cyrus Finch he was last seen being escorted uh towards Peter O'Malley's establishment, and uh, I'm looking for him because he has something in mind. There, we've even given you leads. That's more than generous. Juliet, go ahead and roll uh, manipulate for me. Pep's highest is a 14. I have a 10. Uh, he sits there uh, looking at you like uh, his eyes darting between the two of your, uh, between your two eyes, um, Juliet, and then he leans back as if satisfied and goes, there is more to this story. I know a broken heart when I see it. And he goes, and then he, uh, uh, as if like satisfied with the fact that he was able to read you there, he grabs a, a glass of wine, takes a hearty swig of it and like, and like sets it down delicately and goes, luckily for you, I am a romantic. I will find your husband, your father. He says, nodding to Roy. <laughs> I would love to reunite your family. The O'Malley's have nothing they can hide from me. I just shoot him just a big old, a big old thankful smile at this man for correctly sussing out the situation here. He clearly knows what's going on. I, I just want him to know that I'm thankful for that. <laughs> it will take me some time, but it will not be a problem. Thank you, Pepe. You've always been a sweetheart. What can I say? It is my only weakness. Now that payment has been confirmed, down to the details of the job. As soon as I heard from you, Giles, I used my connections to arrange for the proto-martyrs to sell you some ordinance. They'll be waiting for you at these coordinates to make the sale. He slides like a piece of paper across the table. Find out where they are hiding and wipe out their cash and disable whatever facilities they may have at their disposal. We don't want them or another cell to be able to come back. You do this and we'll get along just fine. And he looks at the other three and goes, and perhaps if you are very lucky, I will, move, I will consider you one of my friends. He then stands up and starts straightening his jacket and goes, Giles, you know how to reach me. Uh, let me know when you are done and I will deliver on my end of the deal. And to the rest of you, adios. Good luck. Pleasure as always. Oh, and Pepe. Yes. 
Tell whoever's got it. I'm coming for him. He grins at that and raises an eyebrow and goes, I can certainly pass along the message. Well, it sure seems like our friend Giles Farthen here has just threatened someone with violence. Yes. <laughs> we all get one XP. <laughs> Uh, and Pepe leaves you there uh, with a fine breakfast spread before you and some coordinates written on a piece of paper. Uh, are they far? Uh, these coordinates seem to be about a day and a half's ride into the salt flats. All right. Well, if y'all will excuse me for just a moment, I did put on my socially adaptable armor this morning, figuring we was going to be spending more time in this hotel. So I'm just going to go change real quick uh, and I come back ready to go in my sort of Tactical, tactical sneaky gear. Roy, you are absolutely an enigma. <laughs> well, hey, listen, sometimes you need to not be seen. And sometimes you need to be seen and have nobody think twice. I mean, that all makes sense. I understand two different armors. What I, I don't understand is he just let you go to the restroom and you just came back. Oh, yeah, I ain't worried about him. I figure if I ran away, you'd come after me. And that seems bad. No, oh, I probably would. You're right. I don't need handcuffs when I got a gunslinger. You know, the stories paint a much more cohesive picture of groups of drifters. <laughs> so, uh, I think probably um, maybe the Salt Flats might be pretty bad for Sadie Clayton. Absolutely. If that's not true, let me know. But I think maybe I should stable her and we should write two up on maybe one thing or another. What do you think? Sugar should be just fine. Yeah, I mean, the motorcycle don't mind, so that's fine. <laughs> we can go stable your horse, and we should be able to get out there pretty quick. So uh, you guys leave the Hope's Edge Hotel. Uh, the stable of Hope's Edge is small, modest, just a couple of uh, stalls, um, but they have room for Sadie, and they, they take her in. It will just cost you two spurs. That's fine. And yeah, there's uh, four of you with two seats on the hover bike and two seats on Sugar and about a day and a half's ride to your destination. I will jump on uh, on the rear of the motorbike. It's a little bit more stable than a rampaging Ache. So Giles, you're riding on the back of the Ache? Not my part, yeah. Could be exciting. Um, And then uh, Clayton, do you think you could lead us um to these coordinates? I know that you're uh, pretty good at that kind of stuff. Sure can. And uh, I'll start navigating us there. Well, uh, Clayton, I'm thinking the sooner we get out there, case the joint, sort of see what we're dealing with, the better. So uh, you think Sugar's good to sort of push the push that needle a little bit on our way out there? I don't imagine she'd have a problem with it. Well, all right then. And uh, kick off on the bike and then like immediately realize I don't know where we're going and hope uh, Clayton catches up. <laughs> i catch up and show them where we're going so yeah uh zooming forward uh at basically her top speed sugar is the is equivalent in speed to uh a car um the hover bike just uh having a little bit more oomph than she does uh the two of you are able to ride alongside each other uh over the salt flats uh, if you guys are trying to to push your speed a little bit, uh, it will be uh, more like a day's ride. You can get there uh, early tomorrow morning. W within 12 hours, though, you understand why no one lives in the salt flats. Without, without a touch of shade, the sun burns down on you, similar to if you were in the center of the Badlands. Um, but the salt kicks up on 
Sugar's hooves and legs and subsequently even as high as like her, her, her like belly and where, uh, your feet are resting, uh, in the stirrups and the motorcycle itself is getting covered with, with salt. Um, and the salt dries out the air and the skin. It's, it's unpleasant within, within even a day of travel. It's, it's unpleasant and everyone is going to have to go ahead and roll, an endure test uh, to resist suffering a little bit of fatigue due to these just barren conditions. One success. I got three successes. Three successes. I also got three successes. My time in the Badlands wilderness has hardened me to these elements. (laughs) (laughs) So, Giles, you take two fatigue damage. As you guys are setting up camp for the night, uh, knowing that you know you're just a few hours away from your destination, uh, you set up camp. the uh, The night sky, beautiful above, uh, being the only real respite you have, Giles. As uh, as your skin, your your skin, which is usually so beautifully moisturized, is just like dry and cracked. Your hands hurt. And you weren't even doing anything with them today. <laughs> and they just, they hurt. Your face feels dry. Every every expression you make, like it's like your skin's cracking. And the air is like burning in your lungs. And it's just, everything about this, uh, about the salt flats is bad. You've, you've only ventured into them a, a couple times, usually in much better conditions like this. You know, like covered, uh, uh, covered vehicles uh, to check on a, a mining operation for supplies for your tinkering. Stuff like that. Never have you really been so exposed to the uh, uh to the elements in this area or in this region pepe you fucking bastard <laughs> <laughs> how far away are we from where we're supposed to be meeting did you say uh about a couple hours and that's driving uh yeah see here's the thing i'd really like to get the lay of the land before we show up to meet these uh heavily armored, technologically advanced, murderous fanatics, as Pepe put it. Is anyone opposed to uh, pressing on a bit more? I'll go out with you if you like, and the these two can set up camp. Sure. Works for me. Okay, so are you guys planning on setting out and in, in on the motorcycle or on foot, or what's your what's your plan? I think certainly on the motorcycle for most of the way, okay. until we get uh, significantly closer. Uh, so Giles and Clayton and Sugar hang out in the back. Uh, uh, Sugar trying to lick the salt off of her haunches. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Roy and Juliet hop on the motorcycle and continue on their way uh, to try and get closer to the coordinates. Uh, you can get pretty close, even like turning off like the lights on the motorcycle so it's harder to spot in the dark. Though there is a, a pretty decent amount of light just in the salt flats in general, given uh, how clear the sky is. But the two of you can go ahead and roll a sneak check for me as you kind of stop the motorcycle and move on foot for uh, the last bit of this scouting mission. The number to beat is a nine. Uh, I got four net hits over a nine. I, I actually got two net hits over a nine. All right, so the gunslinger and the outlaw hop off the motorcycle and continue uh, on foot through the night. You get to about uh, to a decent spot uh, where you can, or you get to about uh, you get to line of sight to the area 
uh, where you're supposed to meet, much like the rest of the salt flats, it is open and wide. Uh, if it was sunny, you could see miles in either direction. There's absolutely no cover uh, to approach this area um, uh, and no vantage points to speak of. Well, Hale, in my professional opinion, as sort of an ambush expert, as it were, it seems as if there is no way to sort of get the advantage in this th- this particular meeting spot. We do have that rifle, that very good rifle back at camp, and I wonder if we could dig a hole into the salt and maybe set up so it so there's maybe Clayton there to like shoot from afar. What do you think? Make our own cover? Well, you know, obviously it ain't it ain't as good as, you know, cover that sort of comes naturally, but I think it's the next best thing. I wonder, given uh, Mr. Farthen's sort of mechanical appendages, and Pepe did mention he's one of the, the most brilliant technological minds on Manifest, maybe we got the supplies to make a, a photoreplicant poncho in time. Get someone uh, covering that with a gun far away. Be a, it, I think it would work pretty well. Se- seems like it might. Depending on how many there are, proto-martyrs aren't necessarily the end-all be-all, but like you can engage them up close. Um, and getting through their armor is particularly difficult, so uh, you really got to either blast them when their helmet's off or you know, find another proverbial chink in their armor and then run away before they explode. If they're anything like the traditional ones. Hold on. <laughs> why Why are they exploding in this scenario? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. You're, you were like three. Um, so proto-martyrs, they were, they, their philosophy was sort of like burn it all down and build it from scratch. And uh, part of that was if we can't have it, you can't either. And so if uh, ever... They had these like heartbeat monitor thingies inside their armor. And whenever that heart stopped beating, uh, it would explode. Uh, the armor would, not the heart. I mean, I guess both technically, but they didn't want anybody else to have that their tech. And so anytime you tried to take it from them, it would explode. It was just packed full of explosives. Oh, I nominate myself to be uh, 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 far away with that, that sniper rifle, <laughs> if at all possible. <laughs> but yeah, I ain't keen to dig. Let's get back to camp. And I suppose we head back. So you guys can make your way back to the motorcycle on foot and make it back to camp. Still well into the night, you guys kind of stopped a little after a little after dark, uh, having really pushed yourselves uh, and... Uh, sugar to make as much or to to make as much ground as possible Uh, luckily sugar is built for long distance sprinting uh and yeah you return to camp and giles and clayton have finished kind of setting it up what'd you find well as it turns out there ain't nothing around there so uh it's either we go over now and dig a big hole in the ground uh for for sort of like a snapper area or we just face them head on um, turns out Roy, you know, not unexpectedly, doesn't actually know about the proto-martyrs, so I thought I'd just give a general warning of um, when you kill them, they explode, so, like, don't be close. But, yeah, it looks like either a direct draw on them or 
or like try to like make some sort of like tech to hide us in plain sight. I don't know. Uh, that's that's kind of what we came up with. Ain't a bad idea. Guys, think you can make up anything like a photo replicant poncho or I have this tarp here as well. Make something to keep from being seen. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be too difficult. All right. Uh, if you want to try and craft a pro- photoreplicant poncho, Giles, uh, you may need to cut some corners to get it done in this short amount of time. Uh, but you can certainly attempt to do so. Go ahead and roll uh, a technology test to try and craft it. If you're cutting corners, this will take you about three quarters of a day's time. So you'll probably have to like stay up through the evening, uh, maybe not get to fully rest, um, but you can get it done uh, before the end of the next day. If you, uh, if you roll well enough. Sounds like a reasonable challenge. I'll tend to make a quick one, cut some corners, but hopefully have it ready for tomorrow. Here we go. Far successes. All right. Well, because you cut corners, you only needed to get three successes to successfully craft that in a single roll. Uh, in, in roughly... 18 hours time as everyone's sleeping, you're kind of staying up working on this. You, you guys uh, watch as you're getting ready to go to bed. Uh, Giles like pulls out an Omni tool and, uh, and some uh, crafting supplies and basically crafts almost like a sewing station uh, and begins uh, uh, working, uh, working with some uh, fabric that he had packed away uh, to begin lining it with this kind of photoreplicant fiber that can allow it to change its, uh, its color and texture. And when you guys wake up, he's hard at work still. And, you know, you guys have a little bit of time as you like sit there, you make food and everything. You have to wait until, um, until like a a little like mid afternoon and Giles has finished. Uh, so Giles, um, uh, because you were cutting corners, uh, it is impossible for you to make an excellent quality photoreplicant poncho, uh, but you did roll well enough to create a standard quality photoreplicant poncho. It will give all enemies a minus one to see the wearer, and whoever's wearing it will also get a plus two to all their sneak tests to avoid being seen. Um, and when Giles stands up, he holds out a beautiful tailored poncho with a hood. And, um, as he kind of like moves it around, you can see the slightest bit of a shimmer, uh, from the, uh, for the photo replicate material woven into the threads. Uh, and if you look really hard, you can see the sensors on, uh, on its, uh, on certain parts of the fabric that allow it to kind of read the material, read the terrain around it and, and copy it. Here it is like. Doesn't look like much, but uh, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, it's impressive. May I? By all means. I'll strap my normal rifle to my back, my automatic rifle to my back, and I'll load it and my sniper rifle with some armor piercing and throw on this photo-replicant poncho. Uh, so with the, uh, with the uh, rifles kind of poking out uh, from under the poncho, you kind of situate it. Uh, on your shoulders. Um, it feels nice. Uh, it is shocking that Giles was able to put this together in one night. He seems a little disappointed, like he thinks he could have made better, but you've never seen... I don't know if you've ever handled anything this finely crafted, uh, Clayton. And you put it on and you stand next to Sugar and uh, you kind of press the little trigger on the poncho and uh, it kind of like lets out like a soft beep and then almost like it's turning the page of a book the color of the poncho changes from the like kind of traditional pattern that Giles had it set to 
uh, to a red furry type look that makes you extremely camouflaged standing against uh, sugar. Oh, don't you look at that. Well, that is some mighty fine work, Mr. Farthing. Looks great on you, Mr. Sawyer, but it was intended for the criminal. You know, I've been I've been looking at it and I was thinking the cut seems a bit off for uh, for you, Clayton. It's uh, just not not quite right for you. Uh, so I load up the rifle with uh, armor piercing rounds and I hand it over to uh, Roy. I take this gun and the guns kind of gross me out, but like I get it situationally and I'll sling it over my back and I will graciously accept this photo replicant poncho, this beautiful piece of fashion and technology and drape it over myself. If uh, if you boys are done trying on your clothes, uh, I think we should probably get a move on. Uh, thank you again, Mr. Farthing. This looks amazing, and I think we might just be able to catch him by surprise. Let's get a move on. Yeah, we load up and we head out. All right. Uh, yeah, you guys can load up on the motorcycle and the Ache. Uh, I just have one question. How do you get Roy into position without uh, anyone being able to see him get into position? He hangs off the back of Sugar, and then as we approach, he just lets go and lays down. I do that. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, so you guys, uh, uh, Juliet and Giles on the motorcycle, Roy and Clayton on Sugar, uh, can uh, move along. Uh, and as you uh, as you begin to get closer to the coordinates, you can see from miles and miles away uh, some figures waiting for you. And uh, as you're kind of approaching, Roy, you're you're kind of like huddled up behind Clayton hanging on to the to the hind or to the rear side of Sugar. Uh, it's a bouncy ride, but uh you have the hood of the photo replicant poncho up and uh and so like you you look like you're part of the like the luggage on the back. <laughs> and um as you guys get about to where you want to, Roy, you can uh drop down to the ground and trigger the photo replicant poncho to have it uh uh blend you in with the uh the salt flats and i will just need you to go ahead and roll a sneak test to do so without being noticed uh we'll go ahead and and put it at a minus one just because it's kind of a difficult maneuver to drop down and lay flat and trigger the poncho all at once my highest is a seven uh i got two net hits over a seven my high is a 13 okay you drop down trigger the poncho you kind of uh you fall down flat like uh, softening the blow, like with your forearms, and and then lay down flat, splat on the ground, and the tri- the poncho triggers, and uh, uh, with your head down and the hood up, it, you just look like kind of a a small mound of salt flat uh, from the right angle. I'm glad that an item that I've crafted has proved necessary. Ah, so everyone gets uh, an experience point. As we approach, I'm going to use telepathy and lithe uh, before. Before he hops off the back, of course. That is uh, two hits on telepathy. Uh, so with two hits, you guys can have a telepathic link for a hand uh, as a long-lasting effect. So that will be for a handful of hours. Two hits on lithe. All right. So that will give you a plus two to all finesse-based skills uh, as a short-lived effect, uh, which is a handful of minutes. Um, so as you guys are riding up, uh, Juliet, you can glance over and see, uh, Clayton's eyes kind of 
flash that yellow light and you see like kind of this electric storm of golden energy like rushing through his veins uh, up and down his body and uh and he kind of like sits a little more uh a little more securely on sugar kind of rocking uh rocking more naturally with the motion or with her motion and uh you all feel as a telepathic link is formed between the four of you which may come as a surprise to you giles as you did not know one of the party members here was illuminated check check <laughs> the fuck is this? Oh yeah. By the way, I'm illuminated. It's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun, ain't it? Does this work for everyone? Yeah, I'm here too. Can you hear everything I'm thinking? No, just what you allow us to hear. That's quite a sensation. And uh as you guys get closer and closer, uh the figures in front of you uh, uh begin to come more into focus. Uh you see a couple of crates set up with five people waiting uh around them and one hover bike parked behind them. Five people in question are all wearing standard protomartyr armor. That is to say power armor. Very it is very high tech, hardened, uh resistant armor. Uh, the standard protomodern armor is kind of a blue color, um, though time and possibly exposure to the salt flats have uh, have faded and scratched up the paint on this armor. Uh, they look they look like almost ghosts of the protomartyrs you once faced, uh, Juliet. Uh, however, their weaponry is just as terrifying. Three of them are toting large, heavily modified, technologically advanced pistols. One of them, uh, the one standing in the middle, is holding a rifle that you can easily identify as a laser rifle. And uh, standing beside uh, her is one uh, who has two laser pistols strapped to his hips. And as you guys pull up, uh, the the one in the middle with the rifle uh, lifts up her helmet, kind of like shoulder or kind of resting it uh, against her ribcage under her arm. And she holds up uh, uh, her hand and shouts out like, That's far enough! Afternoon, friends. As told, we're here for some business. Your name Giles? That's me, like. All right, well, how about y'all just go ahead and hop off uh, hop off your mounts there and continue on foot? Oh, I, I think in, in my head. Uh, yeah, do what they say. We'll look professional. I hop off. I give uh, Sugar a nose rub for advance. Uh, she kind of digs at the salt in front of her with her front paws and like lets out a snort, uh, looking warily at the five figures across the way from you. Easy, girl, easy. As you guys get a little closer, she she's sizing you up. Uh, this uh, this woman is in her mid to late forties. Uh, she has a striking athletic build, buzzed on both uh, on on both sides, and short and tousled uh, at the top of her head. Um, and she walks forward, uh, uh, with like a militaristic rigidity to, to kind of meet you in no man's land. Uh, as she walks up, she looks at the, looks at the three of you, uh, kind of sizing you up, eyeing, um, Clayton's rifle and Juliet's, um, uh, pistols and then, uh, meets eyes with Giles and says the agreed upon, uh, price was 400 spurs, I believe. Aye, it's what I'm told. Just so happens to be the exact amount I have on me. Fancy that. She doesn't like doesn't like respond with like kindness to that. She just kind of like looks uh, looks at you. She's not doesn't seem like one for small talk. And she goes, AJ, go ahead and bring up a crate. 
I'd like to see those spurs first, if you don't mind. We'd like to see inside the crates first, if you don't mind. Hold up a second, AJ. And uh, the one with the two laser pistols uh, who had just like grabbed one of the crates kind of stands back there. And uh, she looks at you like kind of stepping to the the side to look you dead on, Juliet. And she says, are you going to be trouble, ma'am? I think it's only fair that we see that those crates there aren't full of junk. That's all. You brought us all the way out here, middle of the waste or middle of the salt flats. Ain't nobody around. Just seems like, seems like protocol might be to uh, be up front about what we're doing. Now, if you think that's trouble, I think that's on you. All right. You can go ahead and roll a manipulate test at a minus two. Uh, my highest is an eight. My high is also an eight. And Ty goes to the aggressor. Uh, So how many nut hits is that? That's one, but I could spend grit to make it two if I need it. Uh, So she looks you up and down and then then kind of raises an eyebrow and be like, all right then, suppose same time. AJ, get on with those crates. As I'm watching all this through this very fine scope, I would like to use my Pinkerton talent. Uh, Go ahead and roll an observe test. Uh, That's four hits on observe. All right, you get to ask me four of those questions. Are there any threats we haven't identified yet? You actually, uh, so scanning the area, you, uh, you know, you adjust the scope and you get a line. You look at the, the two, uh, AJ and this other one, and then the, the three who are in the back uh, with their, their pistols kind of standing in front of the, the hover bike. And you see some movement behind them and you readjust the scope. And uh, behind them, there is... There's something, some kind of creature in the ground. It's like, it's like, it almost, it almost looks like it's part of the ground, but it's like, it's very flat. And you just kind of see as it like moves just a little bit. You, you don't have the survival skills to know exactly what it is, but you can, you can tell a, like a creature that is like laying flat and waiting to like do something at some point. Um, but, uh, uh, you, you can't quite spot exactly. You, you can't quite identify it given your, your lack of, uh, uh, of knowledge of, of manifests myriad of fearsome critters. Who is concealing something for myself or my friends? You, you so you're scanning over the proto martyrs. They're on edge. Um, but you've, you've ambushed many a family deal and you've ambushed many a family deal where they planned on double crossing each other. And, uh, your keen eye for detail, uh, only makes you think that you guys are the ones who are planning the double cross. It seems like as long as you guys are paying, these guys are selling. All right. But it also, it occurs to you for a second that Giles really hasn't told you what it is that was stolen from him that he's trying to get back. He's been pretty cagey about it. All right. Noted. Uh, who is the most vulnerable in this situation? Giles. Giles. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Giles Farthing. Um, you, you get a sense that he has a certain edge to him. He's not useless in a fight. Um, but he is much more fragile than the rest of you and, uh, and less accustomed to violence. All right. And now my last and most important question, what is about to happen here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there's a few different options. It's, it would seem you could pay, and then try to follow this group of proto-martyrs. You could um, try and capture one of them and talk to them. It, it kind of it depends on you guys. Uh, but you also get a sense that Juliet could, if she wanted to, uh, rile them up enough to get AJ 
to draw down on him. He walks with, even, even with his militaristic obedience to, to this woman, you think that he might have just a little bit of a, of a gunfighter's swagger to him, uh, what with those two laser pistols strapped low on his hips. All right. Well, now having asked all my questions, oh, real quick, just direct. I guess it'll go out to everyone, but I'll direct this, you know, specifically at Clayton. I'll point that scope, that thing on the ground, sort of slithering around. Hey, Clayton, what the hell is that? Clayton, <laughs> you get an image in your head of of Roy's vision looking through the scope. And um, you can go ahead and roll uh, survival to be able to tell what that creature is. Three successes. Uh, that is a wasset. There's all sorts of different types of wasset across Manifest. For almost every type of terrain, there is a wasset. They uh, burrow just under the surface of the ground, um, kind of uh, uh, pu- putting dirt and uh, dirt or snow or, in this case, salt on top of themselves to camouflage them in so that they look like part of the ground. And they, they are a kind of flat, uh, almost like starfish-like creature but it's uh, at their center is a large mouth and they wait for unsuspecting uh, travelers or creatures to step on them. And then they bite down and curl up, grabbing onto them and consuming them. Are they very mobile? Uh, No, no, they're very much not Their Their whole strategy is to like sit in a place and wait. They can wait months before having a meal. Okay. Gotcha. I just relay what it is and pay attention to the meeting. Okay, so yeah, you, uh, you, uh, AJ is almost up to you guys uh, with the crate um, as Clayton finishes his explanation of uh, of what a wasset is. Oh, uh, they're totally on the level, by the way. They ain't here to double cross us. So, like, you say go, I'll shoot whichever one in the face you want. Uh, AJ sets down the crate, puts his hand on it. Uh, he turns his uh, his power armored helmet, or he turns his head covered by its uh, by the power armored helmet. Uh, to look uh, towards the woman. Uh, and she looks at Giles and uh, expectingly. Oh, right, 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 right. I uh, I detach a little magnetic box that's uh, attached to my foreleg and I fish out 400 spurs. As you pull the spurs out from your, from your leg, AJ pulls open the crate and uh, you see what looks like half a dozen... Uh, small breaching charges and about four incendiary grenades in that crate. I guess I will think towards Giles. Uh, uh, hey, Giles, uh, just so you know, uh, we've got about three options and about two seconds to decide what's going to go, ha- what's going to happen here. Either we start shooting um, and either kill them all and try to track him back or maybe save one and trace him back or her, and then, uh, or we can just buy these things uh, from them, these bombs and whatnot from them, and then, and then trace them back home and, and go after them while they're full strength in their base. Uh, but you're the boss, so I think that, uh, you get to decide in about three, two, one. Hey, the Spurs, it's, uh, been a pleasure doing business with you. Uh, she takes the money, quickly counts it, and then puts it in a pouch on, uh, on her belt, uh, clasping it down. And, uh, she says, likewise, you know how to reach us if you need some more. Good luck with it. And you see you soon. Uh, she nods, smiles and puts, uh, puts her helmet on, taps, uh, AJ's shoulder and, and, uh, he steps back, 
uh, leaving the crate and the explosives with you guys. And uh, he continues facing you guys as she turns and walks back towards the other three. And uh, she kind of like makes a a motion, like swinging her finger up in the air and says, all right, let's roll out. And uh, AJ kind of like jogs backwards for a second, turns around, jumps on the back of the motorcycle as she mounts it. And the other three lift up off the ground on jetpacks and all five of them begin riding to the south. Well, that seems like an awfully dangerous situation we just navigated. And as far as I can tell, they ain't noticed me. Uh, Yes, you did successfully navigate a dangerous situation without being noticed, uh, which gives everyone an XP. Sorry you never got to fire on him, but now we have a crate of explosives, and they don't know we're coming. It's your call, you're the boss, and as long as I get that information on Cyrus and we all live, I'm... Totally fine with whichever methodology you're most comfortable with. Hey, but for real, look out for that wasset. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will end this session. This podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton, all rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifestthertpg.com.